Can you see that? Doesn't last long, does it? The smell might last a little longer. Mist. Didn't last long, kind of dissipates. You know, we hear, if we're Christians very long, I suppose thousands of sermons. Shockingly, we don't remember many. One I do remember is a, a woman. I tried to track it down. I can't remember who she was. I couldn't find who she was. But in her sermon, she was talking about this passage and this whole deal about how our life is a mist. It's just like that. And then it's gone. And so we want to make it count. And that's really what James talks about here in the tail end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5. We I mean, pick it up in verse 13 where we left it off uh, last time and see what, what he says. <clears throat> now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or to that city and we're going to spend a year there, we're going to carry on business and we are going to make a packet money. Why? You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? Mist. Mist. A smoke which dissipates all so quickly. A mist that appears for a little while and then it's gone, it's vanished. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. Now listen. You rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted. The moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in these last days. Look, the wages that you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvested have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The Lord, the King of the heavenly host is what that actually says. You've lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You had fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Quite a passage. What does it really say? It says that our life is a mysterious mist. We don't know how long it's going to last. Some longer, some all too short. And we don't even know how that life's going to be, how that mist is all going to be done. 
We can tell in the face of eternity it's going to be short, but where's it going to take us? How's it going to be? Where's, where is it going to be less? And so our life is a mist. And so what God tells us through James here is that, listen, since your life is this mysterious mist, it happens so quickly, you don't know tomorrow, then you need to make sure that we live our lives with humble generosity. Humble generosity. So if you've got that song... All you are is all I want always. And you understand that. You can go ahead and sleep now. Because that's really what we're going to talk about today. But let's, let's try to unpack it a little bit. I like how Matt Chandler, in his sermon on this passage, I like how he put it. He said it this way. He says, look, I am ignorant and I'm only here for a second. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's coming next. I don't know if I'm going to make it till lunchtime. And it's going to happen so fast. You see, we're so limited in our knowledge, aren't we? James starts off by warning against arrogant planning that ignores God's plans, his purposes, his provision, and the reality of eternity. He's saying, listen, when you, when you do that, when you ignore me, when you ignore God's plans and his purposes and his provision, and you ignore the reality of eternity and are just bound into what you want and what you think and what is good for you, he says, that is bad news for you. You see, it's not planning that God is condemning through James here. It's arrogant planning that ignores God's plans. We have to make plans. We should make plans. We need to make plans. We don't just drift along in life. It's good to have places that we're aiming for and goals and dreams and using our abilities and our gifts and our opportunities. We should plan for these things. I mean, just read Proverbs. There's so much about planning. But it's when we take on the arrogance of thinking that it's all about me. When it's all about me and my worldly self-confidence. It's, it's not the planning it's that it is worldly self-confidence. And it's not even necessarily uh, the content of the, of the plans. It's, it's two things. Number one, it is the independent arrogance that we sometimes take upon ourselves and the self-centered nature of our plans. <coughs> that's what God is saying. Listen, there's a problem here. You can make plans and that's good, but when you put me out of the picture, when you take my dream and my kingdom out of the picture, when it's all about you and how you are going to do it and how you are going to benefit from it, there is a problem and James is reminding us that there is no place for self-centered arrogance because we don't know what's going to happen a year down the road. I mean, if, if we learn anything from the pandemic, it's that, you know, you can plan all you want and you can think how it's going to be all you want and you can figure you've got control of your life and your things and all of a sudden, boom, something outside of forces and all of a sudden everything's like, whoa, what just happened to us? He warns against that. But how quickly we forget, or at least how quickly I forget, I should say. And how quickly I want to grab back and seize control of my life again and think that I can determine how it's going to be. And I can determine where it's going to go. And I can determine how long it's going to be. And I can determine what's going to be achieved in it. And James says, listen, I'll tell you when you're really in danger, you're really in danger is when you have resources. 
That's when, it's, that's when it gets really, really tough. When you accumulated resources, then all of a sudden, that we think that we can control our plans. We think that we can do it. And James says, listen, don't you understand that all of those resources that you're depending on, they can disappear like that. If you think your life is a mess, the resources that we accumulate, they can appear just like that, just thinking about inflation. Lord, help us. Can we finally buy a some hamburger at least? No. You don't know how long those resources are going to last. Inflation just eats it away. The stock market takes a big drop. You go into work on Tuesday morning, you say, guess what? You're done at the end of the week. We don't have control of these things. And yet, when we accumulate resources, it becomes so dangerous. Verse 16 says, listen, you know what happens when you have resources and when you've experienced some success in your life? You can become arrogant. It leads us to arrogantly boast about what we can do. And the way in which the, the wording of the text is done is this. It's kind of like, it's almost like they're saying, see what I can do without God. See what I can do on my own steam. See what I can accomplish with my own hard work. See what I can accomplish with my own smarts. And these are the things that James is warning us against. And he's saying, listen, you don't know anything You have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. And that is in contrast to God, who knows everything and who is active in everything. And God who will achieve his purposes and his goals and his dreams, no matter what we want to do or no matter how much the world rebels against him, no matter how many angels fall or how many governments rise up against him, all of these different things. God says, that doesn't matter. I'm going to achieve my things that I want to achieve because I know how it all fits together. And so he said, you're limited in in knowledge. But not only are we limited in knowledge, we are limited, so very limited in our lifespan, are we not? While God is eternal, our life is what? Our life is a mist, a smoke, a vapor, That's here one minute and gone the next. And there may be the fragrance of your life for good or for ill. Maybe it'll last a couple, one, two, three. Maybe, maybe, maybe if you do something absolutely outstanding, it'll last you four generations before your descendants forget who you are. But it's all so brief. And the older we get, the more true we realize that is. When you're the next in line, because your parents are dead and your aunts and uncles are dead. It's like, yeah. ooh, I better get cracking here. So if we take these things seriously, if we take seriously that, you know, I, I, I'm ignorant and I'm only here for a minute. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to make lunchtime. I don't know what I'm going to make next year. I don't understand how it's going to be. How do we live our life? Well, The answer is not to give up and do nothing. And as a matter of fact, God says, and the answer is not the alternative, which is like, you know what, you just look out for yourself and you grab everything you can for yourself right now, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. No, says says James, that's not how it is. In the light of the fact that we are just a mist, a mist, and we don't know anything, in light of that, how should we live? Well, first of all, we should live with an eye towards eternity. We should recognize that there is something beyond what happens in our life right at this minute. Verse 17 says it this way. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. 
But that's a statement about eternity. It's a statement about, you know, there's something that comes beyond this time. Now, I want you to think about verse 17 a little bit. There's, there's two or three things to notice. Number one is that you notice that it's proactive. So often in our minds, I think we think that sin all has to do with stuff that we're doing that we need to quit doing, right? I mean, that's what we think. Sin is something I've done and I've messed it up and I need to quit doing it and I need to repent and all those things. And certainly that is part of sin. But in this case, it is proactive. What he's saying is that, listen, life is short and there are good things that I've laid out for you to do if you're a follower of Jesus and we better be about doing it. Our life needs to be spent in the relentless pursuit of God, his will, his plans, and his ways. To know the good that God lays out before you in your life and in my life and in this congregation's life and to do it. Those things which are eternal. And James has already laid out for us a bunch of those things. That's what we've spent the last few months looking at. Because James, of course, is this very, very practical live out the faith book, isn't it? And he's told us, listen, you need to, you need to do the good of the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of the flesh. And we spend a bunch of time talking about what that is. You need to make sure that you're using your tongue, your speech, your language, your words, your communication to bless people and to advance the kingdom and not to tear down and seek and to destroy and to tear apart and to damage. You need to practice that old-time religion. Chapter 1, verse 17, remember that? And what is that? Verse 27, rather. What is that old-time religion? Well, he, he says, well, first of all, you've got to get prejudice out of your life and out of your heart. All those isms that creep in that we maybe don't even notice. You have to eliminate those. Because they disenfranchise people and they push them apart and push them down. You've you got to get rid of that stuff. You need, to, you need to look after the vulnerable. Widows and orphans in their distress. You need to do what we're going to be doing on April the 22nd. Well, between now and then, we want to give $10,000. Why? Because we're going to feed 22,000 people on that day. It's the good that we know we should do. Because there are people in Turkey and Syria, we've kind of forgotten that that big earthquake happened because we've got this war going on, and, and, and that's a terrible thing too. And, and last year, we did $17,000. We sent to Poland to help Ukrainian refugees and so on. And, and our, our focus is then We've forgotten that there's still thousands and thousands of people who are homeless and starving out there. And, it's, and so on April 22nd, we're going we're to make 22,000 meals. I, I wanted to make, you know, raise $7,000 and do 15,000, but Diane said, no, that's too small for us. We can do 22,000 meals in an hour and a half of your time. You know, I, <laughs> I want you to do me a favor. You do me a favor. Most of the time I just invite you to do something, but here I want to go a little bit strong. I want, I want you to do me a favor. And you can all do me this favor. You, you really can if you want to, because the favor is just to have a conversation. I just want you to have a conversation, okay? I want you to have a conversation with the person that's closer to you, your roommate, your friend, your small group, your spouse, your family. What, just a conversation. Here's the conversation. Ready? You see, normally, when we've got something that's happening, like on April the 22nd, we're going to do this, we're going to give this money, we're going to give up a couple hours of our time and feed 22,000. Normally, what we think is this. You know what? That's a really, really good thing. That's a good thing we should do. And so, man, if I'm hanging around on that date, if I'm close by, you know, I'm, I'm going to do that. But I can't sign up for it now because I don't know what I'm going to be doing then. 
So we'll, I'll just kind of see how it goes. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a conversation with those who, with whom you are intimate, who know you well and who you do stuff together. And I want you to have this conversation. And here's the conversation. Will I do this? Will I say, April the 22nd, we are planting a flag and we're not moving. And on April the 22nd, I'm going to be in Grand Prairie and I'm going to feed 22,000 people. And when Buddy comes and says, hey, I got tickets for the playoff game with the Oilers. Are they going to make the playoff? I don't understand. You know, they're right behind the goal and stuff. And it's on April 22nd. You can come. You're going to say, you know what? I'm religious. And religious people feed 22,000 people. Even if it means they can't go to a hockey game that they wish they could. And so I'm sorry, but I can go the next week, I can go the week before, I can do whatever. But on April the 22nd, I'm planning my life around that date. And everything else is going to be pushed to the side. Just have that conversation. I'm not saying do it. I mean, you've got your life and you've got your you know, priorities and pressures. And I understand all that stuff. I just want to ask you to have the conversation. Should we make that day... A day when we know the good that we are supposed to do and do it and say, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to say no to the weekend in Jasper, the shopping trip there, the hockey game there, the whatever. Because that's the good I know that I need to do. Will you have that conversation just with somebody? And you can say, June's is an idiot. We're going, but you know, we'll be there if we're ever around. That's fine. If that's what you need to do. But have the conversation. Have the conversation. And if you want to go faster, you can, you can give to this sucker through the regular giving. Just say, you know, meal pack on your designation. Or you can go to our website and meal pack and you can give directly to it if you want to, want to do that. But have the conversation. Because we live our life with our eye towards eternity and eternal things. And God says good and pure old-time religion is to feed the hungry and care for widows and orphans, no matter how they got there. And so first of all, it's proactive. It's stuff we do, not just eliminate the bad, but do the good. The second thing, we need to eliminate the bad. Those things in our life which, which make me so earthbound. We've got to get rid of those things. Like the worry that consumes us. And, and so much of our worry is the stuff that's about stuff that, that is right now. And how I'm going to take care of this right now, even though it may or may not. And instead, to get rid of worry and to say, you know what? It, it's all about trust. It's all about this God who is eternal. It's all about this God who will achieve his plans. It's all about this God who is trustworthy. And I'm going to take a look at the resentments and the bitterness and the unforgiveness that sometimes can arise in my heart and in my life. And I'm going to get rid of it because it uses a whole pile of energy. And it burns me up and it poisons me and it kills me. And instead I'm going to live a life of grace and of forgiveness. And I'm going to go to what we talked about last week and think about the conflicts that I have. And get rid of the weeds that have rooted themselves in my heart because I've become a friend of the world. And instead make sure that I'm a friend of God again. I'm going to live my life as short as it is. 
for eternity. Because life as it stands right now is like this. But new creation is coming. Eternity is coming. And it's for that life that we live our lives. So we live with an eye towards eternity. Number two, James says, listen, (laughs) Alan, oh God help me. Have a spirit of humility. Have a spirit of humility. Understand that our lives and our plans are in God's hands. And what we need to do is to to make those plans for sure and to plan ahead. I mean, we're supposed to do that. God gives us imagination. God gives us drive. God gives us dreams. God gives us ideas and and we should do that. But I have to to learn to, to hold those plans loosely and watch for the movement of God within the midst of those plans. Because you know what I do? I make my plans, and I start to move towards those plans, and if those plans don't work off, I'm ticked off. I'm ticked off at me, I'm ticked off at God, I'm ticked off at other people sometimes. Instead, no, instead I should say, you know what, I hold these plans loosely, and I've got these plans, but instead when things take a, a, you know, a left-hand turn, Instead, I need to begin to say, okay, Lord, what, what is it in this thing? What is this plan? How are you changed this? I mean, I thought I was going this way. I thought I was going south, but instead you want me to go east. And to have the humility to understand that God can get me moving and then get me going in a different direction. To have the humility to hold my plans gently. I need to have the humility to recognize my dependence on God's provision and not live my life as though everything were up to me. I need to live my life in such a sense that beyond the wisdom of good management that Proverbs and others talk about in the scriptures, that I need to live my life, you know, with that, but not get into hoarding and not get into thinking that my security is in my RSP and the things that I can accumulate. You see... We have to discipline ourselves to pursue contentment. Contentment doesn't come naturally to most of us. It certainly doesn't come naturally to me. I have to wrestle with the question, when do I have enough? Really? When do I have enough? How much do I deserve? You know, uh, Joseph Heller, he wrote Catch-22. Okay, I'm old. How many of you know the book Catch-22? One person. God bless you. Oh, two. Duff and Carol. This will mean a thing to you guys. (laughs) Catch-22 is one of the most prolific books that's been written, you know. I'm not saying it's a great book, but it's kind of this weird book. And he made lots and lots. He was one of the best earners. And, And the author one time, he was on an island at a party with a guy who was throwing the party who was a hedge fund manager. And they asked her, hey, how does it feel to know that all of the money you earned from Catch-22, which was, you know, megabucks, all of that money you made from that book and your whole life's work, how does it make you feel to know that this hedge fund manager made that in one day yesterday? To which Heller said, oh, it didn't make you feel anything because I've got something he'll never have. And the guy said, well, why, what's that? And Heller said, enough. We sing this song. I sing this song. All you are 
is all I want. Always. Not true for me. I have to discipline myself to pursue contentment and make God all that he is, all that I want, every minute of every day. So thanks, music team, for putting that song up there. I have to be humble enough to learn contentment. And when I do that, that will allow me to live generously. Generously. To live generously. He starts, listen, you rich people. That's us. I read somewhere, they wrote, you are somebody's Bill Gates. You are. We are. As a matter of fact, I said this stat before, but once that I read that, you know what, if you earn $55,000 a year, you are in the top 3% of the world. 55 grand a year, top 3%. We are the rich that he's writing to. So listen, Alan. We accumulate a, and build a hedge of safety around us that we think is going to preserve us from, from danger and from anxiety. And, 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 you know, what if I just have this much money, if I just have this size of house, if I just have this, this kind of vehicle, if I just have this in retirement, if I just earn this kind of salary, then everything's going to be okay. Then everything's going to be safe. Then I've got this protection and I won't have to worry anymore. And James says, listen, don't you understand that your stuff will eat you alive? It'll be like a fire to you that burns you up. You start off, Alan, trying to find your safety and your security, and before you know it, you're worried about making sure you keep and not lose. What's the first rule of investment? Don't lose what you've got. You know, Sean Kierkegaard, he, he said this about it. It's kind of an interesting thing. He's a Swedish philosopher. He said this. And, Riches and abundance come hypocritically clad in sheep's clothing, pretending to be security against anxieties. And they become then the object of anxiety. They secure a man against anxiety just about as well as the wolf that is put to tending the sheep. We gather this stuff because then we're going to feel safe. And then we're terrified. We're going to lose the stuff that we've gathered. James says, listen, don't you understand that that will eat you up, that will burn you up. So how do we handle that? I'll tell you, he says, I'll tell you how you do it. You handle it in two ways. Number one, you be fair in your dealings and you be generous in your life. Be fair in your dealings and be generous in your life. Be fair in your dealings. The unpaid wages are crying out against you, he says. Living uncurringly on the backs of those who are below us cries out against us. And we've got to go even beyond the furnace of our, in our deals and only remembering the brevity of our time on earth. We'll say, you know what, it's, I, I, I can be generous because this stuff's going to eat me up and I have no control over it anyway and pretty soon I'm going to be dead and pretty soon I'm going to be this mist that dissipates and maybe there's a fragrance of a few bucks left to the kids, I don't know. The verses 5 and 6 are so convicting, aren't they? When we think about how we in the West benefit from those in the de developing worlds. And 
I, I know it's so complicated. I mean, it is so hard to figure out, you know, well, you know, we've got this slave labor in Bangladesh, and we've got this child labor over here in this country, and maybe we shouldn't buy that stuff, but then if you don't buy the stuff, then there's, and I understand it's so complicated. I know that, and, and I don't know how to figure it all out. But I do know we shouldn't just dismiss the question. I do know that we have to at least ask the Holy Spirit to make sure that I don't justify living in such a way and the wages of those that should be paid more so that they can live more fully. At least I have to be conscious and try and do what I can. At least pray about it, think about it. Not as Holy Spirit, don't let me justify, don't let me ignore. Cause me to enter into this. Because I don't want the wages of child labor in Asia to cry out against me. I don't know how to answer it. I honestly don't. I, you know, I go through periods where I think about it and this and that. But we at least have to wrestle with it. At least we have to hear the cries of those people and those wages. Our life it's this mysterious mist that's just here and then it's gone. And there's hope that when we are gone that the fragrance we leave behind is the fragrance of grace, the fragrance of love, the fragrance of generosity, the fragrance of humility, the fragrance of doing the good that we know we need to do in this brief life that we have. Almighty God, I thank you for life because it is so often glorious. And you build into it beauty and um, art and laughter and music and relationships and meaningful work. And it's not that we take this, this gift of the three score and ten that if we're blessed we get. We appreciate that and we want to take advantage of the good that you pour into us. But Lord, it is so fleeting. And gathering all of this stuff for ourselves must not be the end. Must not be the goal. So as we go from this place, Father, help us to remember that we are but missed. And so we need to live our lives with humble generosity and we need to make proactive decisions to do the good that we know is the good to do so that the fragrance we leave behind when we disappear from this creation for a time is a fragrance that points to you. We pray through Christ.
Amen.